This week we continue our journey through Ephesians with picking up in chapter 2, working from verses 11 to 22. Now last week Paul laid out like the gospel message. How we were each dead in our sins, but how Jesus took those sins on himself. And how through faith in him we have been saved, not because of how awesome we are, but because of how awesome and amazing he is. This week, Paul goes a bit further. He addresses the divisions in the Ephesian church, the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, who, though they had a very poor relationship with each other, were still worshiping under the same roof. As we rest in our passage this morning, I pray that God would speak into each of our hearts, that he would speak to the division, the hostility that we hold towards others, and that we would each come to realize that ultimately, in Christ, We have unity. Let's read our passage this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. (laughs) 11 through 22. There we go. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently... You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the school year has has pretty much kicked off, you know, we're a, we're a good month and, and some into it now. And I, I was sitting, uh, every night we, we get together and we, we try to eat as a family most of the time that works out. Sometimes it gets a little rough, but most of the time it works out. So we're sitting around our, our kitchen table at, at dinner, and, and Caleb pipes up and he's like, Hey, Dad, I, I got to do the Pledge of Allegiance at school today. And I was like, What? Like, that's a thing? I didn't, I didn't know that that, that that was something. But he's like, Yeah, you know, I got to go and I got to stand in front of the box and I got to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and I was like, I didn't even know you knew the, the Pledge of Allegiance. That probably reflects a little bit on me as, as a father, but, but that's just a thing. Um, I, didn't, I didn't realize you knew it, so, so tell it to me right now. Let's hear it, bud. 
And so he just sits there and, and he, he busts out the pledge of allegiance. And as, as I was thinking about my son reciting partic- that, that pledge, and, and in particular the last few lines, they, they stuck in my mind. Especially as I was reading this passage. Those words, they worked themselves over and over and over. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. One nation, indivisible, unity. Every morning, our children stand in their classrooms and pledge allegiance to a country, to a republic that is unified. It's even in the name, right? The United States of America. Individual states united through common purpose, through common goals. But are we? As a country, are we united? Maybe a better question is, have we been this divided since like the Civil War? I mean, it's, it's possible. I'm not a historian. I, I can't remember, but I, I can't remember a time when the country has felt this divided in, in my lifetime. Largely thanks to social media, I can't seem to escape the political toxicity that is prevalent in our society today. I can't seem to stop it from seeping into my everyday life. Things that we used to avoid talking about at Thanksgiving so that there could be peace around the table, we now share with the world. And when we don't like what a person says, we can just block them out, right? We can just ignore them. We can just not see their posts, not hear their thoughts. And healthy communication just disappears. It's gone. Because once we have blocked out the opinions of those we don't agree with, right? Like, you can just hang out over there. I don't want to hear you anymore. I'm, I'm just done with what you have to say. We begin to form like this echo chamber. We just listen to the people that are like us, that agree with us, that, that think the way that we do. And then we demonize, we ridicule anyone who doesn't agree with our particular echo chamber. Currently, in our very divided nation, we have separated these two camps into the right and the left. Each side has has strengthened the walls of their respective echo chambers and are sitting back and just kind of lobbing grenades at the other stronghold on the other side. Here's this meme. Enjoy it, suckers, right? Like, here's the thing. I've, I've got this one. Deal with this, you right side, or deal with this, leftists. Like, here's the things. Meaningful communication, a a desire to see from another perspective, is being drowned out by the explosions of the hate grenades that each side is lobbing. And if you happen to be a person that tries to see both sides, then then you're a wanderer in the middle of these two fortresses, right? And, And you end up in a dangerous no man's land in between taking grenades from both sides. I've read quite a few articles the past couple weeks that talk about the divide in our country. They tell me that the divide is just getting worse. That the language each side is using is so different, right? Like the perceptions are so different. Just how we approach situations, the lenses that we look at what's coming up, what's facing our country, the way that we look at it is just so different 
That there is less and less hope of climbing the walls of our respective echo chambers, our respective fortresses, so that we can have meaningful conversation with the other side. Conversation that can lead to healing, to change, to a healthy exchange of thoughts and viewpoints, to respect, to understanding, to unity. And yet, despite this divide, this political chasm that is forming in our country, we are still not as divided as the early church. Think about that for a second. We have this divide forming in our, in our country, and we're still not as divided as the early church was. We're divided between right and left, and the early church was divided between Jew and Gentile. It wouldn't be too hard to argue that none of today's social distinctions, none of our our racial barriers, our narrow nationalisms, or our echo chambers are more exclusive and, and unrelenting than the separation between Jews and Gentiles in biblical times. The Jews believed that the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. In fact, it was not lawful for a Jew to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth, for that would just be bringing another heathen into the world. And the Gentiles responded in kind, considering the Jews homicidal enemies of the human race. We think that we understand division now, but think of the division back then. Those two sides weren't just throwing verbal grenades or or witty and straw man argument memes. In many cases, they were actually trying to kill each other. And now they're in church together. Can you imagine the tension? That is the tension that Paul is addressing in our passage this morning. He starts off addressing the Gentiles. In the first few verses of our passage, he recognizes the names that they have been called, the insults that they have endured at the hands of those who believe themselves to be better, to be more holy, to be chosen. He points out their godlessness, points out how far from God they were. We read, in, and then we get to verses 13 to 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Let's set aside the issues of division for just a minute because I I have a question to ask. Have any of you ever felt far from God? Maybe some of you feel far from God right now. Our sin can make us feel far from God. At times, it makes me feel far from God. When I screw up, when I, when I do what I know I shouldn't, when I fall off the wagon, or when I willingly jump off the wagon with both feet, and then I'm, I'm face-to-face with my failure, Yeah, that can make me feel real far from God. And if any of you are are feeling that weight, if any of you are feeling that, that distance, 
this morning. Let verse 13 speak to your heart. Let it speak to your soul. Those who are far away, those who feel alienated, who feel separated from God because of their sin, whose shame keeps them distance, Jesus is drawing you near. He has brought you close. His death on the cross has covered the sin. He has taken our shame. In Christ we have been forgiven. Through faith in Christ, we have been brought near to God. What a wonderful promise for each of us. And then to see what he does once we have been brought near. In verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That is like graphic and pretty emotive language, particularly at this point in time. For in Herod's temple, back in the New Testament, there was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. And on that wall were inscriptions in Latin and Greek forbidding Gentiles to enter. A few of those inscriptions have been found by archaeologists, and and one of them reads, No foreigner, no Gentile, may enter within the barricade that surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So you've got the big temple and or you've got like the big temple grounds. And then there's like the actual temple in the middle area. And there's this big open area, the, the court of the Gentiles. And that's where anybody who wasn't a Jew could go and hang out. But then where the actual worshiping took place was inside the temple. And there's like these walls. This big dividing wall that's set up. And then only the Jews, the chosen people, could come in and worship in the temple itself. All the Gentiles had to hang out on the outside. And then there's all these inscriptions on that wall that divides them that says, If you come in here, you're going to die. Like, we're not responsible for the death that, that is about to, like, take you. Talk about a wall of hostility. The wall of hostility that Jesus destroyed. So that the two groups could become one. Now it could be easy to read this and think that the Gentiles were the ones that needed to be more like the Jews, right? Because they're the ones on the outside and they're trying to get onto the inside. So, so since this dividing wall of this was essentially keeping them out of the inner areas of the temple, keeping them away from the holy places, away from God, it could seem like the idea is to destroy the wall so the Gentiles could hang out where the Jews hang out. So that they could be more like the Jews. But Paul puts this to rest in verses 15 to 18. Though the Gentiles had their struggles in that they were far from God, for they didn't know him, they hadn't been told about him, the Jews had their struggles in that they thought knowing God meant that they were better, that they were more important than anyone else. The reality is is that both sides had lost their ways. The Gentiles because of their ignorance and the Jews because of their pride. And Christ takes each broken side and he makes a unified whole. Verse 15 tells us that he makes a new humanity. The old has gone, the new has come. 
Christ brings the two sides together in himself. In him we are made new. And he has put to death our hostility. And so in him, in this unity in Christ, we can find peace. In Christ we have common ground. But as we keep reading, we find that we have more than just common ground. Verse 19 tells us that since we have been unified in Christ, we are no longer strangers, no longer foreigners, but that we are now fellow citizens together in God's kingdom. And not just citizens, but members of the same household, members of the same family. So we're all the same family, all living in the same house. A few years ago, well, I don't know, like over 15 years ago now, I guess, uh, shortly after Karen and I got married, um, my parents, so no, it wasn't quite 15 years ago, I'm, I'm thinking high school, I'm failing. Uh, yeah, so anyway, over a decade ago, uh, my parents moved out of, out of one house and they moved into another house. It was a much bigger house. And I just remember the, like, the excitement. I'm, I remember feeling a little ripped off because I didn't get to live in, in the big house. I was in like this squished little house until I got married and moved out and got to like breathe again. But my family moved from this little house into this, into this big house. And I just rem- the excitement was palpable because now all of the kids could choose which room they were going to be in and what their room looked like. So I remember like going into the house and, and after they had been there for like a month and the painting, like my sisters went crazy. There was all these stripes and all this different stuff all over their room, some of them anyway. Some other sisters, like they, they, it was nice and like normal, like, I don't know, tans or something like that. My brothers, all blue, man. They lived in a house with a bunch of girls. So this, this room is going to be blue and I've got my TV set up and I got my gaming system and we're ready to roll. Every, every room, you could, you could see the personality of the individual that was going to be staying in that room just all over the walls, all over the way it was decorated, over the way it was arranged. Each room was made their own. And a family of uh, the size of ours, that was very exciting that, that they got to have some kind of input on what their room was going to look like. The rooms were, were like an expression of the person living in the room. As we can see, living in the same house doesn't mean that we're all the same person. We're all in the same house. My family's all in the same house. But we can tell that they're very different people just by looking at where they sleep, where they live, where they're going to be spending their times. So living in the same house, it doesn't mean that that we're all the same person. It doesn't mean that we lose our personalities or our individual gifts that God has given us. This living in the same house This unity language, two becoming one, is the same language the Bible uses for marriage. And any of us who are married know that we don't suddenly agree on everything once we tie the knot. We don't lose who we were. We become stronger together. Living in the same house doesn't mean that that we're all going to be Democrats. And it doesn't mean that we're all going to be Republicans. We're all still going to have differences of opinion on how to tackle the issues that face us as individuals and as a country. There are Christians on both sides of the aisle. And there are plenty of Christians in the aisle itself just unwilling to choose a side. 
And that's okay. It's good to have different perspectives. It's good to have discussion. It's good to have checks and balances. It's not good to have hostility. And as our passage today has made clear, the answer to hostility is not intellectual. It's not political. It's not social. The answer to the differences that separate us, the wall of hostility that divides us, is spiritual. The answer is Christ. For even though each of those rooms in the house that my family moved into ended up being very different, each one styled after the person that was living in the room, every one of those rooms was brought together by the fact that they were part of the same house. And they were all relying, all trusting on the same foundation. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And so each of us, no matter our intellect, our social status, our political affiliation, the amount of money we have in the bank, the color of our skin, the culture we were raised in, whether we are male or female, where we go for vacation, or if we can even take a vacation at all, each of us, though we are in different rooms, are built on the same foundation, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So in Jesus Christ, we have unity. In Jesus Christ, we have been brought near. In Jesus Christ, we have been made new. When God looks at us, he no longer sees a sinful wretch. Instead, he sees Jesus. As we look at those who we disagree with, may we also see Jesus. For if they are a Christian, then we have the same foundation. We are different rooms in the same house. And if they are not a Christian, then God is calling us not to push them away, to build a wall of hostility, but to instead tell them of his love for them, to proclaim to them the gospel that they also, like us, may be made new, may be covered in Christ, may be part of the house, may have their foundation firmly planted in Jesus Christ, the one who brings peace, the one who makes us new, the one who put to death our hostility, the one who took the wrath of God in our place, the one who has unified us, not because of what we have done, but because of his love and grace and mercy, which he has poured out on each of us in abundance. Amen.